Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Well, we've been looking at a series on our thinking, and uh, we want to deal with part four this morning of create a new year through new thinking. Create a new year through new thinking. Our thinking is extremely important because that's what will frame our new year. The new year isn't a mystery. It's determined by how you think. Are you with me? And you'll notice that everything in life begins with a thought. Every good thing begins with a thought. Every great invention, every great business, but every devious deed, every murder began with a thought. Every angry emotion starts with a thought. And your thoughts frame your life. And if you want to know what kind of year you're going to have, it's the way you think that will determine how your year turns out. It's very interesting how your thoughts can create something that's not even real. And you've got to be careful you're not living in unreality because of the way you think. I read the fascinating story that's been told numerous times of a salesman who was traveling along in America somewhere in, a, in one of the country places, and it was pouring with rain. As he drove along the road, he realized he had a flat tire. So he stopped the car, got out of the car, went to the boot to change the tire and realized there was no wheel spanner. Man, there he is standing in the rain, soaking. As he looks up across the road, he sees in the distance a farmhouse and he thinks he sees a light on in the farmhouse. So he begins to make his way across the road and the fields to head towards this farmhouse to see if he can get a wheel spanner from one of the people there, maybe a farmer there. But as he begins to walk, he starts to think. And he thinks this. He says, surely the farmer would have a wheel spanner that he could borrow. Of course, it's late at night. The farmer would probably be asleep in his warm, dry bed. He probably wouldn't even answer the door. But if he did, he'd probably be angry at being woken up so late at night. And, and so he, he starts to think all this, and he stumbles along. Eventually, his shoes, his clothing, saturated. The water's running down his neck. As he gets near the house, he begins to think, if the farmer does answer the door, he's probably, he's probably going to be annoyed and he's, he's probably going to say, what are you doing waking me up this time of night? And this, as he starts thinking this, he starts getting angry. And as he gets nearer the house, he's like worked himself up into like a negativity. Finally, he bangs on the door and the light goes on upstairs. And a person opens the window and leans out and says, who is it? He says this, you know darn well who it is. <laughs> Yelled the salesman, his face red with rage. It's me. And you can keep your blasted wheel spanner. I wouldn't borrow it if it was the last one on earth. How many of you have built up in your mind something that's not even real? You don't even know the person. The person driving in front of you. They braked on purpose. They now want to turn off, but they blocked my path. And eventually, our emotions get the better of us instead of our minds. We've become a highly emotive people in our culture, but less rational than we should be. We should be less emotional and more rational, because emotion often leads to anger and to danger. I love what uh, W. Clement Stone said, amazing businessman. He, he said this, he said, when we direct our thoughts properly, we can control our emotions. See, what we've done in our world is we've made a big issue of feeling good rather than being good. 
And it's time we stepped back and said, hang on a minute, my thoughts need to control my life, not my emotions. And I need to get my thinking straight. I need to have biblical thinking. I need to think God's way. I think the reason why there's so many mental health issues, so many angry people, so much road rage, so many suicides is because people are not thinking. They're reacting and responding to life emotionally. And so our feelings take us down, our feelings take us up, whereas our minds could be consistent in Christ. So it's very important for us to think soundly. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer is an American author and... uh, He's written some 40 books, sold 35 million copies. I reckon he's got something to say. He said this. He said, the state of your life is nothing more than a reflection of the state of your mind. Whatever you are, at whatever age, you're only a thought away from changing your life. So no matter where you are today, whether you're rich or poor, no matter how many issues you've had, you can change your life by changing your thinking. Don't always come to church expecting God to do something for you when he is expecting you to do something for yourself. See, the Bible says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12. Isn't that true? God saves us, but we renew our thinking. Are you with me? So it's very important we understand that. And everything in life comes from our thinking. Now, to get back to our foundation scripture, which I want to reiterate again, Genesis chapter 1 And verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First five words tell us who God is. And so we need to build our lives on those first five words. Many people believe that, that, that this just all happened. That's an insult. This campus today, this new campus, didn't just happen. That's an insult to all the staff and volunteers and the builders and the electricians who all worked here. Gee, it's wonderful. We just came up the road and it happened. So we insult God. We need to realize he created. When you know who created you, life takes on purpose. Now we come to Genesis 5 and, and God created the animals and man. Now there's a summary. He says, yeah, when God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. You were made like God to create like God. That's why you were made, it goes on to say in the scriptures here, He made them in the likeness of God, verse 2. He created them male and female and blessed them. Male and female wasn't because life was very basic and we only had two genders. Now we've discovered we've got 20 or 28. No, male and female because the main goal was not pleasure and self-expression and weird hairstyles and strange clothes and clubs. It was about productivity in the image of God and then pleasure of sex and so on, was a byproduct. We've made everything the main thing, and we've lost sight of God's purpose. Now, before you can create in the earth like God, which which he wants you to do, you have got to create inside your world. So before we create the outer world, we've got to create the inner world, because the outer world is a reflection of the inner world. So we create sound thinking, then we create a sound society. The reason the world's in a mess is because we don't think correctly. Are you with me? And let me not forget this. We said on Vision Weekend that our mandate is to create. We're meant not to consume, exist, and deplete the world. We're meant to add to it. When you go to work, you're not just supposed to occupy a space. 
come in as late as possible, go home as early as possible, get as much money as possible, and do as little as possible. Some people think that's the way to it. That's clever. No, you're supposed to go in early, stay late, give more than you're paid to do because you're doing it for the glory of God and you're doing it to help people. And you'd never be able to do that if you do it emotionally because your emotions, your flesh will take you to the lowest possible. But if you do it with thinking like God, you will always rise higher. And so we have to think correctly and we have to have transformed thinking. Ephesians 4.23 tells us this. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. You were created to be like God. And so you must please Him and be truly holy. Your thinking will determine everything in your life. And God wants you to think like Him. Not like everyone else, but how He thinks. You see, some people... This is what they believe. They believe if the ideal circumstances, if the circumstances were all ideal and lined up, then their lives would be better. You know, if we just have a better government and just a better economy, and if we didn't have Donald Trump in the White House, and if we didn't have so-and-so, and if there wasn't Russia doing, and if China wasn't making so many cheap things, and people come up with all these things, just go on the internet, it's scary. No, no, your life does not consist of circumstances. Your life consists of thinking. And if you're waiting for ideal circumstances, they'll never come. What you need is not ideal circumstances, but ideal thinking. See, Jim Rohn, the leadership teacher, said this. He said, it is the set of the sails, not the direction of the wind, that determines which way we go. Think about that for a moment. So it's not the way you put the sail. It's not the way the wind's blowing. It's the way you alter the sails on a ship. See, when you, when you know sailing, you can actually sail into the wind. It's called tacking or coming about. I've done sailing on a catamaran with a friend of mine. We actually go into the wind. So you're not relying on the wind to be behind you. You're, just, you're relying on how to adjust. This needs to be adjusted. No matter which way the political or economic wind's blowing, so it's blowing this way now. So... Does this make sense to everyone? You see, your thinking determines your destiny. And, and your destiny is determined by the, the, the quality of your life is determined by the decisions you make. And the decisions you make are determined by your thinking. So this, this morning, I want to just recap because we've been looking at John, Maxwell, John Maxwell's booklet. And uh, his booklet on how successful people think. I used a couple of thoughts out of that as we've gone along. But I've adapted some for Rivers Church for who we are and what we believe the Bible teaches about thinking. And I just want to recap the nine we've done and give you three more today. Is that good? Can that help everyone on the Santon campus? I think that can help you. Amen. I think they're clapping on the Santon campus. So here, here are the nine that we looked at. Big picture thinking. Don't focus on the small problems. Think ahead to where you want to be. Suffer, not going to a party. And studying, why? Because you've got a big picture. One day all those bleary-eyed, dope-smoking drinkers who've had fun, you're going to have a degree and they're going to have nothing. And they'll sit in the front row at your graduation and they'll tell you, you're lucky, eh? <laughs> big picture thinking. Secondly, possibility thinking. What could be? Not what is. Realistic thinking. You need to know what reality is before you can build on it. Strategic thinking, you have to plan and plot. There needs to be vision. Reflective thinking, 
pause and process things. Sila, it says in the Psalms, think about this deeply. Then popular thinking. You need to know what the world is thinking, but don't go with it. On the top of buildings, there's the weather vane. The wind blows the weather vane, and it tells you which way the wind's blowing. But thank God the clock below is not affected by the wind. It doesn't go to three o'clock and then come back to two o'clock. It just tick-tock from the inside. But popular culture blows from the outside. You need to know what it's saying, but you need to be the clock. Can you say amen? And then we have the unselfish thinking in business where you do everything for others and God blesses you. Biblical thinking, what does God want me to do? And then disciplined thinking, because not every thought that comes into your head is inspired or of God. Remember that next time someone walks past in the office with a short skirt on, you don't say, thank you, Jesus. No, you, you know where that thought comes from. Ladies, when you get a whiff of his aftershave and he gives you that smile, you recognize, hang on a minute, that ain't from God. Are you with me? You've got to take every thought captive so that your life is ruled by your thoughts and by the word of God. So let's see if we can do three more this morning. And I want to give you the first one. This is a very important way of thinking if you're going to be successful and create a good year. Mature thinking. And there are three aspects of it that I'll unpack this morning. What does mature thinking look like? How does it behave? How does it think? I think our thinking needs to mature, and the Bible tells us it needs to mature. But you know where the starting point of mature thinking is? It's how you think about God. If you say there's no God, that's immature thinking. Because this incredible creation, this universe could not come from nowhere. You've got to be, it takes more faith to believe that than to believe God created the heavens and the earth. The reason most of us don't believe uh, in, or at times don't believe in God is because we don't want to be accountable. R.C. Sproul, the great author, had a wonderful radio program as well. It was called Renewing the Mind and he spoke a lot about thinking. And he said this, he said, as the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, watch this, so denial of God is the height of foolishness. So mature thinking really starts there. And, and, and the Bible tells us that we must change our thinking from immature to mature. Not just in, in, in getting older, you, you have to mature. It's a decision. Paul writing to Corinthians, the Corinthians says this. He says in the NLT, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. But when I grew up in the faith, I put away childish ways. The NIV says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Where do you get adult thinking from? The Bible, the Word of God. And so let's look at three aspects of mature thinking. Number one, I believe people who have mature thinking, this is one of the qualities they have. They know the value of time. Immature people are like children. How many of you, a child doesn't know what's what? It wakes up. How many, how many of you have your children? Don't, don't raise your hand. You have your children. Five o'clock in the morning, they wake up and then they jump on your bed. Then when it gets to bedtime, you need to go to bed. Why? See, they don't live with responsibility, so they have no concept of time. Clean your room. You come back and it's not done. Why? Because I can do it another time. Mature people know that time is an incredibly valuable resource. 
And we have people say, we're on African time. Sorry, there ain't no such thing. Because you don't wake up in Africa and then the sun comes up at 10. And then the next day it comes up at 4 in the morning to make up for that. No, the universe runs on a clock. And time, if you lose it, cannot be saved. We use the term saving time. No, there's no such thing. You can save money, but you can't save time. When you lose time, you'll never get it back. You lose money, you go bankrupt. You can go and start another business. You can start all over again. But you can never get time back. So I think you ought to spend time much better than you spend money. And what are you doing with your time? If you think time doesn't matter, basically what you're saying, my life doesn't matter. And that's bad thinking, isn't it? We can't just go on in South Africa wasting every five years, wasting another five years. Waste. The decades are passing. No, people are valuable. The poor are valuable. We need to improve. We need to create. But we'll never do it if we don't think about time. Here's the thing. Like money, you either spend money or you invest money. Time, you either spend it binge watching on Netflix. I've done it. But you can't spend all your time. You've got to spend time investing in your head. So I'll watch a few rubbish things and cringe at the swear words, but then I go and read books. Minimum of three books a week I've got to read. Minimum. So when you say, I don't have the time. You do. You don't make the time. Your thinking has to change. And mature people use time because time changes your life. When you think about time, most of us, the average person, goes to work for eight hours, maybe ten hours. Uh, I'm not saying that's how long you work. That's Let's say you go to work. <laughs> but let's say eight hours. Some people go to work for eight hours and earn 3,000 rand a month. Some less than that, but let's, let's use that as a figure. Others go to work for eight hours and earn 300,000 rand a month. What's the difference? You've been paid to think. So if you want to go from 3,000 to 300,000, don't just go back to school, because I know a lot of people have got a list of degrees but can't relate to their husband or wife. So it's not education, it's wisdom of thinking that you get paid for. So important, if you then value your time, you will invest in yourself and you can take yourself from 3,000 to 30,000. But school doesn't do that. And you can go to university and you can get all those degrees and you can spend all that time and then you come out and you can't find a job. Because a job is not present, life doesn't present itself. Mature thinking opens doors because it's the set of the sails, not the direction of the wind. I could, I could spend the whole day on that. But I don't have the time. Number two, the second way mature people think is like this. They have sensible expectations of life, governments, and church. Children have unnatural expectations. Can we go to the zoo? No, you have to do your homework. See, when you don't have responsibility, you, do, do you want to know why so many people are angry? It's because they've got unnatural expectations of their husband, their wife, their children, the government, the economy. If you expect things from people that can't give it to you, you're going to be living angry. Why? When? I'm sick and tired. So emotive, not rational. 
I don't expect anything from this government. I don't expect any, anything from anyone. But what I expect from God and from me. Are you, am I making sense this morning? You see, if you, have the, if you have immature thinking, you'll be expecting when I get, mar- when I get married. Let me talk to the men. When you get married, she will come in in negligee. Morning, darling. What would you like for... Not in this society. No, no, she's sitting up on the pillow saying, bring. Can, can you see, if you, if you have expectations of people that they can't give you, why do you wonder why there's so many angry people around? Why are there so many offended people? Because you're expecting people not to be sinners. Why is it on Instagram when someone does something? It's like we've all got to attack them as though they are a rare species. Everyone is a sinner, including me, who are all fallen. And so it's one sinner calling out someone else's sin. We've got into this crazy. No, we need to take our eyes off all these people so that we're not offended. They said this, they said this, they think this of climate change, they think this about Donald Trump, they think this about this party and that party. I don't care about, what does God say? And my mind is on. A lot of people like this in church on the inside. On the outside, on the inside. And then people get offended at me when I preach. Listen, can I help you here? If you get steam coming out of your ears when I preach, imagine if I'm offending, imagine what I'm not saying. There's a thought. You see, if you're going to go down that road, you're going to be very unhappy. And you can be educated and important. You need to have important. You need to have mature thinking. And you remember the story in the Old Testament, let me remind you, of a man called Naaman, important general of the Syrian army, mighty, respected, and a high achiever, but he had leprosy. Came to the prophet Elisha. It's like coming to church. And he wanted to be healed. And the Bible says Elisha didn't even come out. He just sent his servant, go tell him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Look what Naaman did, because this is very important. This is what some people do. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Maybe Naaman went to one of those rallies where they bring you to the front and they shake you. And they spit on you. And they call on the name of the Lord. And they have a whole vocabulary. Maybe you came here this morning and this is too sedate for you. It's too slick. Ah, people tell me that. River Church is very slick. It's not anointed, you know. It needs to be more chaotic. I notice wherever God goes, order comes. See, the Bible says here, he asked the question, are not Abana and Parfa and the rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he went off in a rage. When you've got the wrong expectations and you have immature thinking, you will not get the benefits that God has got for you. You could be in an anointed atmosphere and miss everything because your thinking has been shaped incorrectly by emotional things instead of by truly spiritual things. 
I remember some years ago, someone said to me, you don't call people to the front when they make a response at the altar call. They said this to me. You know, Pastor Andre, that they're not saved. I'm like, yeah, gee, thank you. Been in the ministry 36 years. I needed you to tell me. Really? See, it's a certain way of thinking. No, you could be in your seat. Raise your hand and pray with me. In fact, you could go outside and fill in a card. But our thinking can sometimes be immature. Hmm? We need sound thinking. And you know what? We no longer know how to think because we've been told how to think. Thomas Sowell's a man who's now 88, and I have huge regard for him. He's written 50 books, and I've read about eight of them, I think it is. And uh, I really respect his thinking and his mind. He's uh, from American economist and social theorist. And he said this. He says, not since the days of the Hitler youth have young people been subjected to more propaganda on more political correct issues. At one time, educators boasted that their role was not to teach students what to think, but how to think. Today, their role is far too often to teach students what to think on everything from immigration to global warming to the new sacred trinity of race, class, and gender. In other words, people think for themselves, but you want to tell them what to think. Why? Because you're offended. Yeah, you don't tell people what to think. Just, just go beyond what people think. We have to rise up above what people say. You have to. Mature thinking says, shame. Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not wait till I get down from you. I tell you what, hey, you have no idea who I am. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He had mature thinking. He didn't expect from people. Isn't that true? And he knew the value of time because he was on a timetable. I must teach these cities. I must go to Jerusalem. My time has come. And the third aspect here, we're still in point number one, is they accept that they're not always right. Mature people don't have to always be right. Don't try and always be right. Admit sometimes that you're wrong. It'll help your marriage. And you'll have lots of friends. Because sometimes we are so emotive and we think we're right when we actually calm down and realize, oh. as we say in the Cape, holly ha. <laughs> you realize how silly you are. Let me tell you a story. There was a woman who went to the airport and she was about to take a flight. She was not in business class and she was not, did not have access to the lounge. So she decided to go and buy a book and buy a packet of biscuits and sit down on a bench and read the book and eat her biscuits. She sat there reading a book. A man came and sat down next to her. She noticed that he put his hand into the packet of biscuits between them, and he took one. She thought, what a nerve. But she carried on, took a biscuit, and he smiled at her, took another one. By the time he took the third biscuit, she thought to herself, if, I, if my plane doesn't come soon, I'm going to hit him with my handbag. She said she was galled that this man would do this. Well, anyway, they each ate the biscuits till it came to the last one. He looked at her, he took the biscuit, he broke it in half, he gave her half and he ate half. She thought, what a nerve. <laughs> Finally, her flight was called. She got up. She didn't even look at him and she stalked away. Got onto the plane, sat down in her seat, put the seatbelt on, put her bag on her lap, zipped it open, took out her book, and there she found her own packet of biscuits <laughs> that she hadn't even opened. What are you creating in your head? You're so right, but you're so wrong. 
Mature people realize I could be wrong. Enlighten me, help me, speak to me, speak to me, Lord. And if you're going to be successful, don't, you don't have to be right. You have to be growing and moving forward. Number two, the second way of thinking is no excuse thinking. People make excuses. Let me tell you this. If it's important to you, you'll find a way. But if it's not, you'll find excuses. Most of us brush our teeth in the morning. Why? Because it's important to us. Unless we forget, something goes wrong, get interrupted. But it's important to us. We always make excuses when it's not important enough. My diet, yeah, no, it's my hormones. No, it's not. It's not important. No, no, when it's important to you, you will be brutal. When I think about the weekend and I want to wear a t-shirt with my jacket open, that's why it's closed. I straight away think, what am I going to do? No, you can't eat that. No, you cashew nuts are healthy, but they've got lots of carrots. You can't. It's not legalism. It's you've got a goal. I can't tell myself, get the cashew nuts, you deserve it. <laughs> Opening another campus, a responsibility, just. No, I can't make excuses because I've got a goal. When it's important, I, am I making sense? See an illustration, your marriage. Oh, no, you know, no. if it's important, you'll fight for it. We make excuses about our work, our health, exercise. No, it all boils down, it's not important enough. And successful people don't make excuses. They realize that excuses are weeds of the mind. They grow faster than solutions. And we have to think carefully when it comes to this. Do you know success occurs when your dreams get bigger than your excuses? Jim Rohn said this. He said, excuses are the nails to build a house of failure. If you're not financially independent by the time you're 40 or 50, it doesn't mean you're living in the wrong country or at the wrong time. It simply means you have the wrong plan. Ouch. But I love what this Paralympian cyclist said. Juan Jose Mendez Fernandez. They always have four names. Don't tell me, he says, you can't. Don't tell me you can't. I'm inspired by people like that. Because they've found a way to do things without excuses. Because it's important to them. Brian Tracy, the leadership teacher, said this. He said, you can make excuses or you can make progress. You choose. When I stopped making excuses, I started making progress. He admits it. When I stopped blaming other people and feeling sorry for myself, I began thinking about specific actions I could take to improve myself. You remember in John chapter 5, Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and there was a lame man there. The Bible says he had been there for 38 years. Do you know how long 38 years is? Eight years is long. 18 years is even longer. 28, 38, no. That's why Jesus asked him in Sanskrit, do you want to get well? What, do you, what a question. No, because if you've been there eight years, you figured out the system. Notice the scripture says there when Jesus asked him, he says, I have no one. And then before I get in the water, someone else comes. Come on now. If you've been there eight years, you've figured out he's the quicker one. And that guy, he's learned how to detect when the water moves. And if I get closer than him and I see him getting up, come on in eight years. Don't tell me for 30 years, I have no one and I... 
See, the true reason was, do you want to? And the question today is, do you want to? If you don't want to, well, then you find excuses. But when you really want to, you'll figure it out. And you'll lean on God. And you'll make it work. I was reading about this young boy and his brother way back in 1917. He was eight years old. And his brother was 14 or 13. And uh, they used to go to school early in the state of Kansas. Uh, and he would travel to school, and uh, him and his brother were responsible for lighting the fire way back in 1917 to warm the whole classroom. So he got there just eight years old, and he would put the wood in the fire, and they would sprinkle kerosene on it. Instead, someone had replaced the kerosene with petrol. When he lit the fire, it exploded in the classroom, killed his brother, stone dead, and burnt him from here down, burning all the toes off his feet. Sorry, his left foot. There he, he recovers, you know, your skin contracts from, from burn wounds. He's in a wheelchair, he cannot walk. They tell him he will never walk. But he's a Christian. And he says this, Isaiah 40 says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings as eagles. They will walk and not grow weary, run and not grow faint. So he wheels his wheelchair down in the garden against the fence and he starts climbing up against the fence and he's able eventually to stand up. Eventually he's able to stand out of the chair without the chair and he's holding on the fence. Eventually he's able to walk along the fence without the chair eventually he learns hey i'm, I'm getting a reflection he starts to run eventually he starts to figure out how hey, i can run he starts to reckon hey i think i might have a talent for running eventually he enters races he became known as the kansas flyer no toes on his foot amazing let me tell you about this man he 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 got a, the sullivan award is for the most outstanding amateur athlete in 1933 in the whole country of america he got this award in 1934, he set the world record for the mile at four minutes and six seconds, which stood for three years. He also set the world record in the 800 meters at the 1936 Summer Olympics. And then he set the record for the indoor mile in 1938. His name was Glenn Cunningham, and he had no excuse thinking. Who's burnt you in life? Now you walk around showing your scars. I've been burnt by this country. I've been burnt by this woman. You know, my husband burnt me. You know, my kids don't want anything to do with me. You know, I went to that church and they burnt me there. Come on, come on, come on. We need to rise up and have no excuses and begin to walk and believe that God can raise us up and can do something with our lives. It's so important for us to change our thinking. Number three, the third way of thinking is called extrapolatory thinking. Long word, eh? I'll give you five minutes to write it down. <laughs> they say Napoleon Bonaparte had extrapolatory thinking. He was one of the greatest generals of all time. But I don't want to talk about military history without making it relevant to you. But let me give you a bit of background. Napoleon was one of the three greatest generals of the world. Alexander the Great was one of them, and so was Genghis Khan. And Napoleon only lost three battles, the three significant ones that we remember in history, but he was incredibly successful, almost conquered the whole of Europe because he was such a brilliant strategist. But we remember that his Russian campaign, 600,000 men were lost because he didn't, he didn't uh, rather, he underestimated the severity of the Russian winter. Then the Battle of Leipzig, because he was weakened through the Russia campaign, he lost that. And then finally the Battle of Waterloo, because he didn't have a good communication system with his generals in the field, and that's why he lost that battle. But they say he was an extrapolatory thinker. What is that you're saying? I'm glad you asked. 
It simply means this. It is envisioning every possible eventuality and considering every possible scenario that could take place before acting. So if you're going to open a business, you think ahead. You don't just think, I'm going to be rich, hey? Wait, just watch the BM I'm going to buy. Ooh, you're going to see the estate I'm going to move into. Now you think ahead and you plan and what could go wrong. Not negative, you just have extrapolated your thinking, not just good ideas. You know, many, you know how many ex-entrepreneurs are sitting in church saying, been there, done that? Because they never planned ahead. Now they don't want to entertain any good idea. No, that's stunted thinking. You need to have extrapolatory thinking. In South Africa, you need to think ahead of every scenario. When you buy a house, you need to think, I need a safety gate here. Yeah. Not they won't come here. No, that's optimism. You need, hmm, they could climb a, that wall's low. I need to put some barbed wire. I need to put electric fence. I think I need a beam here. You're living in South Africa. You better have some exploratory thing that you're going to be robbed. Come on. Even when you're driving in your car, you need to be, you need to think ahead. I'm getting to a red robot. Who's behind me? And if I stop here and someone comes to my car, can I pull away? That's how I live. I'm thinking ahead. I'm not waiting for you. Oh, who's this? Oh, he's got a gun. Oh, wow. Lord Jesus, help me. Gabriel, come. No, I'm coming up to a red robot. Who's behind me? Who's next to me? Uh, and he looks like he's going to drive straight on, and that's a right turn lane. Va, V8. Past you, baby. I'm thinking ahead. Are you with me? See, there was a festival last year. Festival last year called Fire Festival, where this guy had a brilliant. You, you all know the rapper Jarul? How do they do it? Jarul and Billy McFarlane, they were the organizers. And they presented the fire festival, these beautiful images of yachts and supermodels and sushi and luxury chalets. It was a complete disaster. They put the people in, in Hurricane Katrina tents. Then it rained and they were lying on mattresses outside. They thought they could wing it. You see, they had an entrepreneurial idea, but they didn't have extrapolatory thinking. You have to think ahead. Otherwise, every good idea will die and your life will be a graveyard. Oh, I've had lots of ideas. No, I've had lots of ideas too. We had a campus in Basel that didn't work, but we've done extrapolatory thinking. That's why we're here. Is this making sense today? See, the bigger the decision, the more time you need to take to think. I was reading about the 155 carat liberator diamond was found in Venezuela. And they took it to a diamond cutter and he cut it into four pieces. But before he cut that diamond into four pieces, at the time, way back in the 40s, it was worth $2 million. Do you know what he did? He looked at it for two months. And I'm not talking about on Monday. Mm. And then on Wednesday. Mm. He spent two months. Two months. Why? Because the bigger something is, and the more important it is, the more you need to think it through before you do something. Before you cut your marriage off, you need to think through. Because I just want to get out. Then one day when you've got no friends, and you're all alone, and your kids don't talk to you, then you wish you'd had some extrapolatory thinking. You hear me today? 
John Maxwell says this about leadership. He says this, the difference between average thinkers and good thinkers is like the difference between ice cubes and icebergs. I'm coming to a close. I'm going to hand over in Santon to Pastor Dev, who will pick up and close the service over there. But for those of you that are sitting here, I just want to say something important before I close and pray with you. Can I do that? I was reading this book called Discipline Your Thoughts by Stephen Schuster. And he said this. He said when it comes to thinking, most people have what's called confirmation bias. We like to hear that which agrees with our way of thinking. We don't like to hear things that contradict us. So when we're sitting in church and we hear stuff about about, uh, what the Bible says about creation and gender or whatever, or sexuality, the minute we hear a different point of view that confirms, amen. But you can't live with a confirmation bias because you can end up, it can end up costing you your life. Let me, let me explain what this means to you. There's this guy, he was an honest student, brilliant, brilliant young man, by the name of Derek Keeper. And Derek believed that you shouldn't wear a seatbelt. It inhibited your freedom. So whenever he read about seatbelts, he was <coughs> rubbish, the government. Whenever people said, you need your freedom, yeah, amen. Cool, baby. Well, him and his friend went on a trip, two friends and him. He sat in the back, they sat in the front. They went off the road on an icy patch. The car rolled several times. Both boys in front survived because they were wearing seatbelts. He was killed. You see, sometimes you'll hold on to your point of view, but it'll cost you your life. Warren Buffett, the great investor, said this. He said what the human being is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that their prior conclusions remain intact. What you hear in church, do you want to hear, confirm what you already think, or do you want your thinking changed? Because when you come to church, God says, I want you to change your mind. I don't want you to confirm your biases. I don't want you to keep thinking that God doesn't exist. I want you to repent. That means change the way you think. And then when you do, you get life. Instead of like Derry Keeper, you get death. We do this with our money, our marriages, our spiritual lives. It's time today that we say, God, change my thinking. Renew my mind. I want to be successful and I want to think like God and I want to create like God. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.